take a few moments to praise Him individually in our hearts, from our hearts, which I'm sure that we were doing as we were singing, but we just said, how great is our God. Why don't you just tell Him how great He is? Or why? Or in what ways do you see God as great? Lord, you are a great God in many ways because you're great to us. You're great for us. But you're also a great God, greater than any. Higher, farther, bigger. more wonderful. You are the name above all names. And even as we look at your word this morning, may we see who you are, Jesus, even more clearly. Even though some of the things that we hear, uh, it may be in our minds we grasp, we already know. But in our spirit, we have not always held on to this, who you are, this great God, and what that means, and how that should change our worship. So in these moments, as we've worshiped, we come to your word, wanting to hear from you. And then worship you again by giving not the fruit of our lips, but of our lives. Changed and transformed by you. Holy Spirit, move. Jesus reigns supremely over all this day. Right here in your name we pray. Amen. So let's see how quickly you can catch what I'm about to throw out, all right? So there was a, a semi-popular series of movies that had a few famous and oft-repeated lines, not just in the movie, but they are lines that have been repeated in the general public. And let me just start out by saying that I'm not endorsing this movie or that you should watch it, even though some may think that Roberta and I are big fans since our first child was named Jonathan, who some called John, and our second child was named Sarah. The fact is our kids were born, you know, when they were born, the movie came out actually before, but we didn't know anything about this movie or had ever seen or anything about it when it came. By the way, I should probably note if for some reason you don't know, my last name is Connor. So just kind of putting it out there. 
My point today is that there was a line used, not just in that first movie, but in one way or another in the whole series. I think it's six or so in that series. In fact, it was used in eight different other movies that were associated with this particular particular action actor. So if you haven't got where this is going yet, how many of you are familiar with the line, I'll be back. All right. You know, I, I think many of you are familiar with that from the Terminator movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he said to the person and when he said it, it may have seemed like it was just kind of a usual matter of fact, hey, I'll be back. Uh, but in actuality, it was a veiled threat, a warning. And obviously, Arnold in that movie gets a lot of credit for that phrase, I'll be back. But the reality is there were many who used it in real life before that in one shape or form, including going all the way back to the original I'll be back that came from Jesus. Not just letting us know, as a matter of fact, he's coming back, but warning us, I'll be back. It is very clear in Revelation 19 that Jesus is coming back and it will not be the same. Can I get an amen? You know, Jesus is coming back and it will not be the same. Now, maybe you're not sure and you may not have gotten into this before, but let's look at Revelation chapter 19 and we're going to read from verse 11 on. So, we're going to read Revelation 19 and think about what we've just been talking about. This whole, this is his, I'll be back. This is what happens in Revelation 19, verse 11. And by the way, as always, if for some reason you don't have your Bible, whether on your phone or in your person, there are those back by the uh, offering boxes that you can access at any time as well. Uh, uh, don't forget about communion back there. Verse 11, Revelation 19, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses, their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great, and I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped in his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves. On their flesh. Wow. What did we just read? Wow. What we just read is. Jesus is coming back. And it's not. Going to be the same.
The first point I don't want us to consider this day is let's grasp that the second coming will be a different event. I mean, hear Jesus' words directly from him about this. In chapter 26 of Matthew, verse 64, Jesus said to him, You have said so. I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Beginning and the end. In Matthew 16, verse 27, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. And again, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, and the beginning and the end. Note that movie scene that I was talking about later when the Terminator actually comes back. When he said he's coming back, when he actually comes back, that movie scene is not a particularly good one, even in the edited made-for-network-TV version. It's at the least PG-13 because there's a lot of violence. Ironically, when Jesus comes back, as is pictured here in Revelation 19, it will go beyond PG-13. In fact, today, we're just covering part one, the first half of this chapter, and we'll definitely get into it, the little more graphic parts of it in Revelation 19 next week in part two. Some may have wondered, how can I be talking about Jesus in this way and warning that somehow his second coming is going to be a threat? You know, I'll be back. That, I mean, that's, 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 that's cute, but is that real? Uh, you know, and how can I be talking about it being uh, PG-13, but we need to wake up to the picture of Jesus. Because oftentimes our picture of Jesus is this, uh, especially in, in a religious kind of way, is, uh, is this old-time family-friendly G-rated movie that at the worst, maybe somebody comedically gets slapped with a fish. I don't know. You know, that's one of those things. It, it, The second coming will be different. It will be a different event. Revelation 19 is not our usual picture of all of that. It's not our usual picture of Jesus, even as we think about the different names used here for Jesus in Revelation 19. Many of us usually are thinking about the names of Jesus as our advocate, our atoning sacrifice, the author of life, the author of salvation, the bread of life, the deliverer, the gate, the mediator, the, the vine, the way, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the great high priest, the hope, the hope of glory, the lamb of God, the horn of salvation, the lamb without blemish, our sacrifice, Passover lamb, life, the light of the world, our great God and Savior, the resurrection and the life and so many others. Those are the names that we typically think. But all of those names are names that we think about associating with the first coming of Christ when he walked upon this earth. And while all of those are always true of Jesus, they are not the only names that should come to mind, even as we think through his second coming. Revelation 19 gives us some of those names that should be at the forefront of who Jesus will show himself that day. Now, some are looking forward to this return. Some are looking forward to what we just read in Revelation 19. In fact, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, 
waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of our glory, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are those who it's an encouragement for believers, but it will not be to unbelievers for the second coming is about bringing the I'll be back to all judgment. I recognize that there can be some confusion regarding the different sounding events that we've been going through in the end times here. Some may even think that we've already talked about Jesus coming, how he will come and take us out of here. Didn't we talk about that before? You know, we talked about Jesus coming and we talked about him coming and taking us out of here. Yes, but that would be what we would call the rapture. Which if you remember, we compared it with the second coming and how it would be different. That second coming that is pictured here in Revelation 19. And showed that there were two different events. There are two different purposes that are being accomplished. So let's just review this so that we don't get mixed up in this. I know as we go on and you get some, this is a lot of new information, not a lot of thinking. But here, let's just review it in this graph up on the screen here, so to speak. At the rapture, Jesus will come and meet in the air. At the second coming, he will come and meet on the earth. As you think about that first point there, where they will come and meet on the earth, we think about Acts chapter 1. After Jesus was meeting with the disciples and after he said before them about their mission, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. In Acts 1 verse 10 then, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go to heaven. In other words, this same Jesus who was right here on earth and literally and physically went up, he will literally and physically come right back here to the earth and stand on the earth just as he was. Unfortunately, there are many in some churches around that do not believe in an actual literal bodily return of Jesus. But we would say that that is what is going to happen. As you look down the list here, he will come, his, that rapture coming will be silent, unseen. The second coming will be seen. In fact, he will make a scene because every eye will see him. It can be the rapture can happen at any moment, but the second coming will only happen at the right moment when certain things are yet to be fulfilled and to come about. The rapture will happen before the tribulation. At least that's the way we would look at it. Some may see it just slightly different. The second coming at the end of the tribulation, or we could say before the millennium. The rapture comes, Jesus comes for his saints, and the second coming, he comes with his saints. He comes to deliver believers. And the second, he comes to judge unbelievers. This is is the difference. Note, both events are real, personal coming of Christ. But the second coming being about when he comes down to this earth to take over, defeating the enemies, setting up his kingdom for a thousand year reign here on earth. Is what we'll get into in the next topic of the end times 101. But the second coming is not the rapture. It is different. 
it is different. And it does not matter whether you believe in a pre-tribulational, mid-tribulational, or a post-tribulational kind of rapture. Not all those things don't matter. It will be the same thing that we're talking about here. There is a difference between that coming for his saints than the Revelation 19 coming with his saints. And so this same Jesus is coming back, but it will not be the same. There is a bigger, broader picture of Jesus that is shown here and giving us insight into who he is and who we will see him as. Let's break it down a little further as we think about the revelation of Christ by walking through Revelation 19. In fact, let's move on to the second point. Let's grasp that the second coming may seem like a different Jesus. Note in verse 11, in fact, just uh, make sure you're there. You got that open. We're just going to go down uh, through in each of these verses. In verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. This rider, Jesus, is called faithful and true. In Revelation 3, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of god's creation jesus faithful and true which was very different which will be very different than the beast and the false prophet that will be at that time jesus who will be true in his justice to judge and wage war jesus who who said in john chapter 6 verse 38 that he had come down from heaven not to do his own will but the will of him who sent me and in the end he said i have finished the work you have given me to do so too Even though the words in Revelation 19 might be hard to hear, Jesus will follow through in his second coming just like he followed through in his first coming. That is who he is, faithful and true. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This is the name pictured of Jesus in Revelation 19, and it's good to be reminded of how great his faithfulness is. We are a part of his family, and we tend to see the faithfulness of Jesus as something that can be good because he can be counted on. We can count on him to fulfill every promise. But I don't know if we've ever thought about it, but that's not necessarily a good thing for those who do not know Christ. It is more of a scary, even warning kind of thing that Jesus is going to be faithful and true to his word. And he is coming back in judgment. As verse 11 says, with justice or righteousness, he judges and wages war. Next time, in a sense, he will bring the wrath of God versus the first time he came when when in grace and mercy, he took on the wrath of God on himself at the cross. They're different. Same Jesus, but it will be a different coming. This may seem like that different Jesus, but it's not. Along the same lines here in verse 11, we're reminded that he comes riding in, not like the first time on a a humble little donkey, but on a huge white battle horse, a white horse that was symbolic uh, of triumph, not just in, in the word, but in actuality, conquering Roman generals would parade down the streets in victory, a victory parade on a white horse or a chariot pulled by white horses. This white horse is a big scene and a big deal. Just a side note on this. There are some who have thought that the rider on the white horse in 
verse 11 here in chapter 19 is the same as what is described in Revelation 6, verse 2. But it is a different writer, a different time, a different place, and a different whole context of what's going on with each other. So don't let somebody tell you something different that you can see it for yourself. Let's go on. Verse 12. Verse 12, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, uh, meaning he's the first and the last letters of the alphabet and all names in between. And yet verse 12 here tells us that there is a name written on him that we don't know. Nobody knows. There are a number of ways that we can think about this. First, as we think about Christ as an indescribable gift, the one who no human word really can describe in a name, in a sense, he is beyond words, beyond belief, beyond what we can comprehend in this moment. After all, Isaiah 55 tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, declares the Lord. But what if what this is talking about is not so much a new name, for Jesus, but rather a name we do not yet know. And I think there's an interesting potential concept here. I'm not saying this is what it is, but I, I, I think it might be interesting. That what if there really is so much more to know about God, about the Father, about Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we've only just begun to grasp him in our time here on earth in our limited humanity. And that when we get to heaven with him there, there will still be new things to grasp, not for our intellectual curiosity's sake, because we will know all we need to know, but we will get to know him in relationship in such a way more and more and more throughout all eternity that there will be as if new to us names revealed as we are in his presence that we could not comprehend now but we will with him throughout eternity worship all of who he really is there's still much more you know it's mind-blowing that we're going to get our minds blown hopefully we're catching that limiting our view of jesus based on his time on earth is missing out on all he really is such as this picture here in verse 12. It says his eyes are like blazing fire compared to the first coming when oftentimes we think of Jesus looking on with eyes of compassion. But here, there are eyes of fire that pierce through with judgment, seeing all. And it's not just here. It's not just here in Revelation 19. There are other places, including the very beginning of Revelation and the vision of John, of Jesus. And we read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14 through 17. The hair on his head was like wool. As John sees Jesus, the hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Does that sound familiar? That's the picture of the second coming even before that is talked about. The other picture here in verse 12 is of the many crowns or diadems on his head. And if you'll recall the description in, uh, of the dragon and the beast that we looked at in Revelation 12 and verse 13 talked about them having crowns on their head. But Jesus has more than all of them put together. 
which obviously states the obvious that he is the ruler of all. We'll hit this further in verse 15. Verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The word of God. The logos. A name only used by John. Not only here in Revelation but in the first epistle in John 1. And also in the gospel of John. In John 1 through 3. Many of you are familiar with this. You see it on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. We know as we read further in that chapter of John that it is speaking of Jesus. He is the Word. And the truth about this means when He's talked about in that way that Jesus is the Eternal. He has always existed as Lord God from the very beginning. Not just from the very beginning when he first came to this earth. But from the very beginning of creation. Colossians 1 talks to us about that. Verse 13 also says that his robe is dipped in or sprinkled with blood. Now that could be seen as his own blood or his enemies. Given verses like this, Isaiah 63, 3. I have trodden the winepress alone from the nations. No one was with me. I've trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I, it should say, it stained all my clothing. You'll know this connection as well with verse 15 there that later talks about how he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Blood stained. We're going to skip verse 14 and come back to that next week, but let's look at verse 15 there. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress, the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Describes Jesus' in second coming. That I know to some may seem like a different Jesus, but really it's just in a different way. The first time maybe we would say Jesus came with that uh, as a little baby, with that perfect little baby mouth, you know, that's always perfect. And then, but now out of his mouth is coming this sharp sword. As we think about a sharp sword, we think about the word of God earlier. He's called the Logos, the word of God. And we think about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that talks about the word of God that is living and powerful, that two-edged sword. And we see that sharp sword in his mouth and the connection with the word of God. And then in verse 15, it talks, I suppose, if we look at that first coming as a baby that we, we don't know this, but maybe he held a baby rattle. But this time, the second time, He's going to be holding an iron scepter in his hand, a ruling rod that will come down on all those who will not bow down. Verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's get a little, a little closer at this and what it's saying in verse 16. First of all, it says on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written. Again, another name of who he is. But some people read this and they, they say, well, Jesus has a tattoo on his thigh. Please understand, I, I'm not trying to make a judgment call on present day tattoos. 
But what I am wondering is, it seems unlikely that Jesus, who took the form of a man, not just a man, but a man who was from God's chosen people, and along these lines, I've, I've mentioned before about things like this, and I, and I will always put it forth, is that sometimes there are things that are really more speculation than interpretation. But I try at least in the speculation to base it on something in the Word of God as I think through this. But along these lines, uh, as we think about it, and I know it's going to be different the second coming, at that time of the second coming than it was of the first, and who Jesus really is will be revealed. And, uh, uh, but you got to wonder if Jesus, who is presented here, would be going against the warning of Leviticus 19, verse 28, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put two tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, he, which he has already done in order to be the perfect sacrifice lamb, this is all a part of it, although that's already happened. That's why I'm talking about speculation versus interpretation here. But I think about it. Tattoos in those days, when this was written, when this was talked about, tattoos were often associated with pagan practices of honoring a false god or dealing with idolatry. So I'm not sure that the first inclination of our should be to interpret this as something tattooed on Jesus. Actually on his thigh. Plus thinking that you would actually see his bare thigh in all of that. Which means it could have been on his robe at that place. As it was practiced in those times back in those days, the kings would have their title woven into their garments, into their clothes, or engraved on a sword, even engraved on the hilt of the sword. And so where it would have been resting as he's riding could be seen as on his thigh. Again, I don't think it's going to matter. But as we think through this, what does matter is that last name, that description of who Jesus is. That second coming, not a humble suffering servant like he was in the first coming, but contrasted with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords here. Although that's who he's always been. Not just at the second coming, that's who he's always named. This is the name, though, that will be at the forefront when he comes. Not the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb of God. But in this moment in Revelation 19, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none that will be able to compare. There is none that can compete against him. He is not just the greatest of all. He is the great one over all, the King over all, the Lord that will reign over all with power to exercise absolute dominion over all. This is what has given to him. This is his place and who he is. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Every king, every lord, every, not just person, but every demon, devil, etc. Jesus, all things are under his feet. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Which is exciting and a, and a precious name to so many 
but to many others. Who he is in that second coming will be coming down in battle as a conquering king of kings and lord of lords. We'll get more into that battle next week. It seems that many on, many early on did not see the separation between the first and the second coming. They saw it all as one event, this military leader coming and establishing the kingdom on earth. But now we're, we're, we're catching the very different way that second coming, that, that this same Christ shows up, that is different from the first coming. And what we would call, and we think about that first coming, it is what we would call the events oftentimes what we talk about uh, that happened from Christmas through Easter and the ascension. But those are different than the second coming. And again, just like we did earlier, let me just put up a graph here and, and kind of go back and forth. I'm not sure how it's, oh, it's not too bad here. I don't know how it's showing up at home. Uh, you might have to get a little closer at home. But Christ's first coming took place at 4 BC, but the second one only the Father knows. It was no, The first was noticed by shepherds, really, only because they were told, let's face it. The second will be, noticed by everyone the first he was rejected by men but then he will be respected by all many stood against him in the first but all will kneel before him in the second he was riding in on a donkey in the first but he will ride on a white horse he was wearing a crown of thorns but now he will be wearing many crowns the disciples all leave him in the first but his disciples will all come with him mockingly they called him the king of the jews of the cross now he is called the king of kings He was a lamb led away to the slaughter in the first, but the Lord will be leading the slaughter in the second. He is the one who takes away the sin of the world in that first, but he is the one who has come to judge the sin of the world. The first, he had victory over death. This second will be victory through death. Not his. The first comes to take away the wrath of God. The second, he will be coming to bring the wrath of God. The first to make peace, the second to make war, the first to come in grace and mercy, the second to come in judgment, the first the Lamb of God, the second the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, perhaps it's it's clear about the difference between the first and the second. But some might be saying, I'm not sure it's completely clear why we're looking at this though. In fact, there might even be some that are, I'm not sure why it's completely clear we're even doing a series on this, you know. This stuff really doesn't really matter. It's not really that big a deal. Well, first of all, it's in the Word of God. So I think it's legitimate to do a study on that which is actually from God's Word. But, you know, uh, but it's a minor thing. I don't have much interest. Here's the thing. It was important enough not only for God to put in there, but you might find interesting that there are many who would point out that the references to the second coming in the Bible outnumber the references to the first coming eight to one. Are you with me? The references to the second coming, which is what we're talking about, outnumber that first coming. Oh, we want to hear about the first coming. We want to hear about Christmas. We want to hear about Easter. The second coming is that, no, eight to one. In fact, it goes all the way back. The, the references of second coming go back to a prophecy long, 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 long ago towards the very beginning from Enoch. We read about it in the book of Jude. 
Jude chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. It was also about these. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against. The seventh from Adam is giving you Revelation 19. The Jesus that we're reading about. This one that has been said, uh, second coming, can be seen in 17 books of the Old Testament and 23 out of 27 of the New. And as we've already seen, Jesus speaks of. So this picture of Jesus in the second coming, even the one we have here in Revelation 19, is not some rare, one-time aberration out of the ordinary picture of Jesus. It may seem different but this is who he is. And yet you hear people in the church talking about Jesus and in their description, they limit who Jesus is to what was seen in his first coming. When he took on the form of a servant, their picture of Jesus is just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels in the New Testament and not the picture of Jesus in the whole word of God. Who is not just limited to what happened during those tiny flash of 33 years on this earth in human form. So much is talked sometimes that we're not recognizing the divinity that has always existed and will continue throughout all of eternity of who he is, of what Philippians chapter 3, uh, 2 tells us here in verse 6 who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. You see, who he was was always who he was and who he is and who he will be. Even just in that man. But see, there's more to this. The next verse. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. While some may think that Revelation 19 is not our regular picture of Jesus, this is the picture of the one who is coming again. This is the one who in a sense said, I'll be back. To understand this, as he said at the very beginning, Jesus is coming back and it will not be the same. But it is the same Christ, but in a different way than what some may picture. But this is all of who Jesus really is. Jesus is coming back. It will not be the same. It is going to be good news for some and bad news for others. Now, those who, who get this and are even thinking, that, yeah, amen, preach it. But I want to say a word of caution to those who are really about this Revelation 19 Jesus. Because there are those who gravitate towards this and only want to present this picture of that, of who Jesus is. That's all they want to talk about in this time. And, and that's what's going to happen. You know, oh, that's who Jesus is. This Revelation 19, this whole picture. People better get it. They better be like a pancake, turn or burn. I'm telling you. 
You know, it's, it's just a part of what needs to happen. And they focus on and emphasize the fiery-eyed Jesus. But you can just end up making the same mistake the people on the other side do. Yes, that is who Jesus is here in Revelation 19, but it is also who Jesus is in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the same Jesus, not just in Revelation 19, but the same Jesus who horrifyingly was crucified on that cross and right before he died, as he looked out, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That is the same Jesus. So today is not so much that I believe God wants us to get back to the Jesus of Revelation 19, but that he wants us to get to the whole picture of who Jesus really is. And all that he is, that every name of Jesus is worthy to be worshipped in the greater revelation of who Jesus is. And it seems a little ironic that one day all believers, all unbelievers, sorry, one day all unbelievers, as we read in Philippians there, one day all unbelievers will bow down and acknowledge all of who Christ Jesus is. But that today there are still believers, his people, who have not bowed down to all that Jesus really is. But instead, we bow down and we worship to our religious picture that sometimes is just a limited Sunday religion and what it has shown us, or oftentimes really more of just likely what we want to believe Jesus is. If we find this true Jesus a little hard to receive, based on how our minds always thought of him. The next week's message is going to be even more interesting. Jesus is revealing himself here. Even before that second coming comes, he's revealing who he is for us to worship him now. Not just to bow down then and worship Christ, but now all of who he is all of who we will meet in heaven one day. For as Hebrews 13 says, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will we respond to the same Christ now in worship, who is both our friend and our king, who is both our savior and our judge? Will we respond in worship to all of who Jesus is? Even as we think and we come before communion. We know that we do this to remember his death. We do this to remember what he's done for us. But we cannot help but recognize who he is. Yes, he is the Savior. But he is also who we are meeting here in this moment. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The worship team come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment. I pray that for those today whose eyes have been opened by you to what and who you really are, we would truly worship you in that. 
for others, it's, it's not so much that they needed their eyes open as just a reminder. Lord, help us not just to be convenient in our worship or even religious, but to recognize all of who you are. In this moment here, we recognize your great love for us. And what we read in Revelation 19 does not take away in any way that you love us with an everlasting love. So Lord, help us not just to be ready for communion here, but to be ready to meet you, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who will come with the sword. But for now, we ask that you would take that sword, the word of God, through your Holy Spirit, and do a surgery on us to bring about the healing that we may be more like you, Jesus. We ask that you would bless this bread and all that it symbolizes for us, not only in all that you've done, but in all of who you are. would take the bread just as Jesus did that night Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said this is my body which is broken for you take and eat your blessing upon the cup in this moment. Recognizing before we ever talk about others that will take place in Revelation 19, we're reminded that you shed your blood for us. Willingly, the innocent one. Took our place. Thank you, Jesus. Bless this in your name. And that same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup represents my blood which is shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink. 